and pro- This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. It may come as a shock to many, but the Pew Research Center in 2017 discovered and made the commitment that in the next half century or so, Christianity's long reign as the world's largest religion may come to an end talking about the decline of the Christian faith. It is clear the gospel is under siege, and nothing illustrates that more than Islam seems to be replacing Christianity in many respects, communism on the rise, socialism gaining traction even among the next generation, and the fact that more than 245 million Christians across the globe are living under almost constant threat of persecution further compounds the picture. And yet here at home in the good old United States of America, the situation doesn't look much better. In fact, we see the stories of violence, attacks on churches and synagogues, an attack on two more churches, burning them to ground just in the last couple of days. The religious landscape of the United States continues to change at a rapid clip. And uh, we know it. We understand it but we kind of pretend that it isn't really happening. It's all about that normalcy bias that we've been talking about. We see things happening, but we just take them as the next iteration of normal, and so it doesn't particularly affect us. But here's a question. As we launch into the deep here on Viewpoint today, how did a nation built upon Judeo-Christian values ratified by the Declaration of Independence that was signed by over 29 members of the clergy and later established in a motto of In God We Trust, arrive at the place where the future of the church is at stake and faith in Christianity is in disrepair. Serious disrepair, my friends. All of that, as we are in preparation for celebrating our nation's birthday. In an attempt to reach the consumer-driven culture of the 1980s and early 1990s, our churches around the country actually became participants in this uh, disrepair of the Christian faith, believe it or not, shifting their ministries to accommodate visitors in new and exciting ways, Steeples and stained glass were knocked over and removed. The cross was even taken down from most of our churches. Pews were replaced with theater-style chairs. Sermons were shortened. Bible readings limited. Hymns retired and replaced with rock and roll songs about God in all an attempt to make church more accessible and entertaining to seekers and unbelievers. Well, as you know, we've talked about it so many times here on Viewpoint. The movement was known as the seeker-sensitive model following the church growth movement of the 1970s. It drew an explosive number of new converts, changed the landscape of churches across America, but all that growth came with an unforeseen cost. And we want to talk about that unforeseen cost here on Viewpoint today. And I'm so glad that you have joined us. As always, it's conversation with ever-increasing conviction, Talk that transforms. 
And we need that kind of transformation. We don't need more information. We need transformation because God, you see, never told us, never commanded us to be informed, but rather to be transformed. And that by the renewing of our minds that you and I might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So we launch into the deep here today with our new special guest, Lucas Miles. He says that liberal thought has hijacked the church. Liberal thought has hijacked the church. The title of his book, The Christian Left. Are you left? Are you right? Where are we? Should we even talking in terms of left and right? Are there other terms, perhaps, that would be better terms to use? Are these terms becoming labels, the labels that become libels? Are they frustrating our conversation or facilitating the conversation? All of that here on Viewpoint today with our special guest, Lucas Miles. Good to have you on the program, brother. Hey, thanks for having me. A trusted voice, your book says, in the American church who addresses challenging topics in theology, politics, and culture. We need some of those voices. We need them not as uh, self-righteous voices. We need them not uh, just banging a political drumbeat, but we need those that have a true kingdom perspective. Is that you? Uh, I sure hope so. I started started preaching at 17. I'll be 42 this year. I've been doing this for quite a while. And uh, there's nothing I love more than seeing the church really restored uh, to a place of what I would call biblical orthodoxy, rooted on the foundation of the Word and the revelation of Jesus. And and although I I do identify, you know, quite a few problems in this nation and in the church, I'm an optimist, and I believe that uh, the restoration is possible for the church if we can, can, uh, you know, really wake up to what's happening. Well, let's put this in a in a bigger perspective. Uh, we have been warned by both Jesus and the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, uh, the Apostle John, of the uh, basically the dissolution of the world politically, morally, spiritually, and uh, all in preparation for the second coming of Jesus Christ. And there is an increasing conviction, belief that, in fact, we are perhaps on the near edge of that second coming. What say you? You know, I'll quote a good friend of mine. He says, I don't know if this is the end time, but I know it's the time, and we have to learn to walk in that. And I think that, you know, really, as as Christians, life is a terminal experience for all of us, right? And so Mm -hmm. we have to really operate with that mindset. Whether or not this is the end or the culmination of all things, I think we're certainly closer than we were yesterday. (laughs) Uh, But it's it's certainly the end of our time that we are in yeah. now, and I want to do the best job that I can with the time that I'm given. Well, you want to occupy till he comes. Absolutely. All right. Well, I agree with that. Here's what one of my uh, concerns is, uh, Lucas, and that is I, I believe that biblical prophecy functions very much like a frame around a painting or a picture. And the purpose of the frame is to bring increasing focus on what occurs inside that frame. And unfortunately, I feel that in large measure, the broader evangelical community, in fact, uh, the whole professing Christian community as a whole, has largely abandoned that frame, the prophetic framework, and 
therefore finds itself relegated to trying to make sense of this picture but getting it out of perspective to the greater picture that is portrayed by the by the scriptures you know I, I, as a pastor i can tell you that even over the last decade that i have noticed a a growing trend of an increase of biblical illiteracy mm-hmm. and where in the past i could mention Abraham, Noah, Moses, Samuel, and people knew who I was speaking about. Now I find that many times I have to set up the entire story in order for people to really track with me of what it is that I'm referring to, you know, within a preaching mm-hmm. context. Well, we're going to Let go alone. into a break here, and what that's revealing is uh, we are in deep, deep trouble, and uh, the so called growth of the church perhaps has not produced discipleship and preparation for anything. We'll be right back. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chrismeyer. It's been said that nature abhors a vacuum. Nature abhors a vacuum. If indeed, as our guest Lucas Miles says today, and I agree with him wholeheartedly, that we have become, in large measure, a nation of biblical illiterates, even within God's house. Does that not tell us that that illiteracy, that vacuum of biblical truth is going to be filled replaced somehow by someone, by someone's, even by the deceiver himself. And humankind will do their best in the abandonment of truth, will do their best to try to find and make their own. And this is exactly what Time Magazine told us back on April 5th, 1993. How many times do I have to refer back to this famous, famous cover story on the front miles if you didn't see it was a cross in the lower right hand corner were these words the generation that forgot god now bear in mind this was 1993 the very year that we formed save america ministries after god told me to leave the practice of law at the height of my career to plead his cause in the land as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation But here is what Time Magazine concluded. Americans were flooding back to church, you know, the church growth movement that was gradually metastasizing into the seeker-sensitive movement there in the early 1990s. And uh, Time Magazine concluded the church would never again be the same. And here was their reason. Because Americans now are looking for a custom-made God, one made in their own image. In other words, we have, we were already filling the vacuum of faith and the vacuum of biblical understanding with our own replacement. Has that not laid a foundation for the development of what you might call leftist theology in the church house? Yeah, I think what we're seeing really in many ways is sort of a revisiting of 
um, progressive ideology, and you know specifically somebody like um, the philosopher Hegel. Uh, you know, so much of what we're seeing in Christianity today mirrors really some ideas that philosophers like Hegel had. It's a real um, uh, emphasis on things like social justice, but sort of the pursuit of God is, is oftentimes lost really in the pursuit of self. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, in many cases, that, that sort of defines American Christianity in many ways. You know, our songs are now about us instead of about God, you know, in worship. And I think that many people are lost in that. Well, the famous so, psychiatrist, psychologist uh, Carl Rogers uh, laid the foundation in psychotherapy for this uh, and uh, set up a whole system of thinking that uh, has been basically bought hook, line, and sinker within our churches. I, I couldn't agree more. And you know what this what this does is it makes us it makes it very difficult, I think, for the average Christian to be able to discern the true gospel when they hear it. Mm-hmm. And so if they go into a church and there's a pastor who that begins teaching, you know, leftist ideology or some sort of uh, form of liberation theology or or Marxism, uh, they don't always they're not always able to to discern the difference between that and the gospel that's presented. Uh, you know, by the Scripture, by Jesus 2,000 years ago. And so I think it puts the Church in a very precarious position. Well, it does. Uh, in fact, quite frankly, we don't much like the Gospel that uh, was presented to the Church by Jesus Christ and the Apostles because it required personal responsibility. You had to accept the responsibility for your sin, confess that you were a sinner and had uh, breached God's covenant and His expectations, and then humble yourself in repentance, uh, turn from your own wicked ways, and uh, proceed to live out a life of righteousness. Well, all those things are rejected by the so-called leftist thinking, even so-called leftist Christianity, are they not? Yeah, I mean, look, the the left, I think, uh, really runs from the idea of personal responsibility. You know, you're not going to find personal responsibility in socialism. You're not going to find personal responsibility in liberation theology. In fact, it would say explicitly that you have to deal with the errors of the system before you can talk about any sort of personal responsibility or sin. And isn't that exactly what all this talk about systemic this, systemic that, systemic this, and systemic that, it is a way to avoid personal responsibility? Absolutely. Look, it doesn't mean that there's not areas that that we need to look at society and address some things. But, you know, if we are so busy searching for excuses that we never are willing to look in the mirror, that's a problem. And the gospel, if it teaches anything, it teaches personal responsibility, personal stewardship, personal involvement, personal faith. And I think that these are things that we have to come back to uh, if we we really desire to stand on any sort of biblical Christianity. All right, let's talk, see if we can define some terms here, uh, because words matter. You use the word left. Uh, the opposite of the left is the right, I would think. Uh, but we used to use the term liberal and conservative. You're using the term left and right. Which is it, and how did they develop, and how do we know that the left is not right and the right is not left? So when I use the term left, I'm specifically (laughs) referring first and foremost to what I would call leftist theology or leftist ideology. Okay, but now Uh, you're using the word left in the the very definition. So I'll define it. So leftist ideology or leftist theology is basically the tendency that individuals have to become enamored 
um, with with thinking that promotes uh, ideas of socialism, Marxism, critical theory, critical race theory, and and really draws them to uh, you know some of the teachings of people like Hegel, Kant, and and Marx, Darwin, etc. Mm-hmm. What we have seen is we've seen where in the past those thoughts were kind of isolated into maybe an academic realm or an academic realm even within the church. Now we are finding that that really mainstream Christians are embracing these things and and even going to the point where they're calling themselves evangelicals because yeah. they have left the traditional faith. Well, we're finding more and more of that, uh, particularly among entertainers, but also among even pastors. You have a, a chapter called the Christian Cabal, and uh, we wouldn't normally find that term associated with the church, with Christianity, but uh, you quote a couple of folks here that uh, if we just follow the money, a major Christian media personality confided in you what he refers to as the Christian cabal, a group of Christian elites and leftists who control a significant portion of Christian publishing, religious news, faith films, and even Christian higher education. Another one called it the evangelical intelligentsia. Well, those are terms, but I'm not sure that the average person professing to be a follower of Jesus Christ can yet comprehend what you're talking about. So what we have here is we have that at the top of um, many, you know, many of our Christian publishers are owned by secular uh, um, parent companies. Absolutely. And so they're controlling the content of what's coming out. And I can tell you that, uh, you know, my book itself went to about 13 different publishers, um, and, and it made it through all of the Christian uh, rounds of that. But when this book would hit the secular uh, um, uh, decision makers, I would find a rejection letter. This book is now a number one Amazon bestseller, uh, and it has done extremely well. Um, but I found that many of the Christian publishers were forced to say no to it because of these parent companies that are there. Uh, we also have this in Christian filmmaking. We have, uh, you know, some of the uh, the film studios and some of the, uh, the filmmakers mm-hmm. are, you know, uh, people of other faiths that have seen the dollar signs behind Christian movies. And so they're starting to produce content. That's not to condemn the whole industry. There's great Christian content out there and great Christian people and Christian publishing and radio, et cetera. But there are some decision makers at the top that are quite less than Christian. Going back to 1992, 93, uh, my first book uh, was ready to uh, be published called, uh, oh, now I can't even remember what the name of it was, Preserve Us a Nation, taken from our national anthem. Preserve Us a Nation, and uh, it was picked up by a publisher, the fellow who had started a major Christian publishing company called Multnomah Press. He confided in me, and this was in 1993, he said, Chuck, we're forming another company. The company that I formed, he said, so many years ago, I cannot manage anymore. I cannot keep it under control to publish genuinely Christian material. Now, this is an amazing statement. So he said, we're starting a new company, and uh, I want to publish your book as one of our first six books uh, in this new company. That gentleman, I don't want to disclose his name, but he was of considerable renown in the Christian publishing industry. 1993 could not even control 
the corporation that he had formed in order to ensure Christian publishing. That's been the background since then, and uh, we could cite many, 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 many instances up till now. What's the problem? I think the problem is that, first of all, um, we really have to, within the Church, return to a commitment to biblical orthodoxy. And what that means, you know, I, look, I have a very liberal view of orthodoxy, and all orthodoxy means is right teaching. So I think that we can disagree about speaking in tongues. I think we can disagree about whether or not once saved, always saved, versus whether or not you can lose your salvation. We could make arguments for a lot of these doctrines and still be within the confines of Scripture. But if we begin to, you know, really leave the ideas of the authority of Scripture, the infallibility of the Word, the Lordship of Jesus, the Trinity, uh, if we begin to leave some of these things, the, the, the designation of, of a male and a female as the two genders that are uh, involved in marriage, uh, and the definition of marriage, if we begin to leave these things, then we've really left Christian orthodoxy. And I think that as people in the industry, whether it be publishing, film, uh, etc., within the Christian world and the Church, that we have to start calling these things out when we see them, we can do so in, in, in love, but we need to be honest with what's there, and we need to really resist the idea of our faith being um, uh, drawn further and further to the left. All right. And uh, how far left can you go before you fall off the deep end? Uh, look, I think it's a great question, and of course people want to know, are you saying that you know the Christian right are the ones that write? I believe that Jesus was not a Republican or a Democrat. In fact, the words Republican and Democrat don't mean a whole lot outside of America. Um, but what we have here is Jesus. Well, anymore, they don't mean a whole lot in America. <laughs> That's true, too. That's true, too. Uh, you know, Jesus was the embodiment of truth, and he's not left or right. He is truth. And so the opposite, in my mind, of the Christian left is not the Christian right. It is the biblical-minded Christian. The biblical-minded Christian is focused on the things of God. Are there fundamentalists and Pharisees that we could put on the right-hand side? Sure there are. But I believe that those individuals have much less power today than what we are seeing on the left. And the benefit is that oftentimes the Pharisee, even though uh, they are, they are uh, causing issues for the faith, they are still connected, at least in principle, to the Word of God. And so there's opportunity to draw them back to repentance. But when somebody goes into progressive ideology, they've disconnected themselves from the Word as the source of truth, and it's much harder to bring them back to any sort of realization of really the heart of God and, uh, and just, you know, uh, the, the, you know his, his righteousness that he's established. So the culture progressively lords it over Christ, and Christ becomes the mascot uh, to the culture or to the alleged Christian aspects of the culture. The book, friends, The Christian Left. How Liberal Thought Has Hijacked the Church. It is a, a fascinating piece. Uh, your gift of $14 will put it in your hands. It's a $17 book for $14. We'll put it in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. You can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's 1-800-SAVE-USA. Or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 2 3255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling, and we'll get it in your hands. Also, I want to uh, cause you to remember that uh, if you'll notice, we do not do commercial advertising on this program, and there's a good reason for that. 
One of the main reasons for that is what our guest is currently telling us. There is an unwillingness within the broader Christian community to embrace truth because they're afraid that either the right or the left is going to come down on them and affect their business. So if you don't divide and conquer through culture war discussions as opposed to what we do on this program, talking about the kingdom of God, then you run the risk of either being canceled out or not getting support in the first place. Therefore, from the very get-go, we understood this problem and have relied upon your gifts to enable us to keep on the air, which we have done now faithfully for 26 years. I hope that you will uh, continue to make your commitment as you have, and for those of you who are new listeners, that you'll join with us in uh, helping to support this ministry, Save America Ministries, go to our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. Do that, and we'll be right back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, saveus.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, saveus.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at saveus.org. What is love? God says that he is love. God is love. And the Apostle Paul told us that uh, we should be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love. But what does that mean? If you have somewhat disjointed yourself from the fullness of the Bible as authority, then you find yourself left with new definitions of love, new manifestations of it new applications of it that may or may not be consistent with those of the Scripture. Therein lies one of the big problems that we have with so-called leftist theology, uh, liberal theology, that our guest today, Lucas Miles says, has hijacked the church. So, Lucas, let's talk about this love issue. Uh, we're told uh, by the so-called cultural liberals or leftists, whether Christian or otherwise, that it's all about love. Love, 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 and then they'll quote, love your neighbors yourself. In other words, let your neighbor do exactly what they want to do because you want to do exactly what you want to do. So everybody gets to do what they want to do, no matter what, no matter what God might have said, because to say otherwise is not loving. What say you? Yeah, I mean, I think so much of the, the conversation about love is really... Uh, just about agreement, you know. It's, it's essentially it's agree and leave me alone. Um, and I think that to to not agree with someone today is to be seen as unloving. Uh, the reality well, is not that, only you know, unloving but hateful. It, it's, it's certainly, certainly, it, it is. It is definitely viewed as hateful. 
to not agree with somebody, especially if you're counting their, you know, countering their ideology. Right. So, uh, you know, we see Jesus and the, and the Apostle Paul and many figures in Scripture uh, disagree with people very often. In fact, I want God to disagree with me if my ideas are contrary to his, because I want to see the truth. But that, that element of humility and personal responsibility, I think, is quite absent in our culture today. Yeah. I liked exactly what you said in the misquoted, misguided love of the leftist, where the left takes a decidedly different detour from the biblical definition of love is in the stance on personal freedom. Essentially, this new form of love takes the position to agree with me is to love me. To contradict me or disagree is to hate me. Therefore, you must allow me to indulge in my personal freedoms, regardless of the negative impact this indulging may have on me or anyone else in society. So, even more disturbing thought surrounding and shaping the last blurred lines of love is a refusal to embrace the notion of personal responsibility. Well, obviously, if you're going to be accepted for whatever you want to do, whatever you do, regardless of the consequences, there is no place for personal responsibility, is there? I always joke that I think Adam was the first leftist-minded person because he, he blamed everybody <laughs> else in the garden besides himself. He blamed God, he blamed the snake, he blamed the wife, you know? <laughs> And, well, and I, I thought everyone... I thought Eve is the one that blamed uh, blamed the snake. <laughs> well, yes, Eve blamed the snake, Adam and the snake the said the God. devil made me do it. <laughs> yeah, they, they both kind of had a little bit of that uh, going on. So, you know, I, I think that you know we need to we need to recognize that that as believers uh, and really as, as humans, we're, we're culpable, and and I think that you know we have faults. By the way, I have now. this on record on tape. You have just confessed to being culpable. <laughs> yes. That's a legal term, you know. Yes, it is. And we have a legal problem as Christians, right? As really humans. Um, and I think that the the uh, the message of the left is is that you're not. There, there is, you know, you're you're perfect just as you. And although that sounds really great, it discounts the gospel and the whole reason Jesus came. If I if I'm not a sinner in need of a savior, then I have no use for the cross. And I think that that's where many people are finding themselves, where they're looking to Jesus' humanity just for uh, he was a good example. He was the champion of the state. He was, you know, whatever we want to find, but it's yeah. not the savior of the world. They see him uh, have, have redefined Jesus as a culture warrior, uh, as not, not that he was involved and, and particularly interested in the kingdom of God, but he was about trying to, he was a revolutionary. Uh, trying to uh, revolutionize the culture uh, so that they could uh, stand against the Romans. You know, there's a history um, behind that, and that was really um, a language and terminology that was developed by some of the early Christian socialists. Uh, it was then passed down, and individuals, you mm -hmm. know, uh, like like uh, Hegel and Marx, and eventually even Hitler, sort of adopted some of that terminology where Jesus became the champion of the state. Uh, you know, even in more recent years, Mikhail Gorbachev, some might remember, said that Jesus was the first great socialist. Yeah. And so this, this ideology has really crept in over time, and it's been used to kind of treat Jesus as sort of this propaganda figure in order to endorse ideology. So my office is downtown South Bend. I'm in a red state in a blue county. Wait a minute, wait a minute, church. wait a minute. Is... Yep. Uh... Is Mr. Buttigieg uh, part of your congregation? So he's not part of my congregation. He was the mayor of our city for some time, and I've met him on a number of occasions. And he's a great example of the Christian left. You know, mm -hmm. although he might be a nice guy to 
you know, shake his hand and have an interview, he tends to uh, uh, exhibit quite a few Marxist tendencies. Well, not only that, but he is married to his uh, his male counterpart. Yeah, he was uh, one of the first openly gay um, uh, presidential candidate uh, for the Democratic Party that I'm aware of. And, uh, and, you know, but yet he's on the campaign trail espousing Christian doctrine. He's talking about what Jesus would do and how he would live, uh, where he himself seems to violate many of the principles of Scripture. But he finds ways to use Jesus as propaganda to support his ideology. And this is a perfect example of what we're seeing a lot on the left. Uh, of of this use of Jesus to you know uh, per, you know to to uh, uh, support open borders to support same sex marriage to support transgenderism to support socialism. How about how about to support uh, uh, critical race theory? A hundred percent, hundred percent. I mean, there is so. In other words, theory. in other words, the great sin of humanity is not disagreeing or disobeying God; it's being white. Yeah, yeah, and that is that is the message behind critical race theory and liberation theology. In the world, it's called critical race theory on a secular level, and in the church, it's taken on the term liberation theology. Uh, critical uh, theory really has no interest in God, but this new form of critical theory has found a use for Jesus to give it further support among at least a somewhat Christian society. All right, but let's talk about this. Let's be real frank about this. Just a week ago, the Southern Baptist Convention, SBC, Southern Baptist Convention, the largest so-called evangelical uh, Bible-believing denomination in the country, nearly divided in half over the election of a president, and they chose to select a president that they thought was going to be more touchy-feely, in other words, not completely ruled by biblical authority or orthodoxy, but rather uh, was open to the new pseudo-orthodoxy of critical race theory. Look, we're seeing similar things happen within multiple denominations. I'm, I'm not part of the SBC myself, but I was very disappointed in the direction that they went. And I think there's some great pastors that are in the SBC that are really trying hard to keep the uh, denomination on track. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they have some work to do in in that area. And that's a great example of a group that's been infiltrated uh, by some individuals that have really uh, put a lot of pressure and influence on them and that are working a lot of things behind the scenes, being instigators. And I named some of these names in my book. I didn't really want to address these names publicly. But I think people need to know, and so that the chapter you mentioned on the Christian cabal, like that, that's a, that's a large portion of that. Is I'm mentioning people that I know firsthand, or that I've seen firsthand, or that there's documented evidence for of their uh, infiltration of the church with these leftist ideas. Yeah, and it's not necessarily the people that you would think it would be. It's often people who have been revered, even yeah. as yeah. Uh, uh, Orthodox Christians who are being persuaded increasingly by the culture and uh, the drift uh, away from the authority of Scripture and away from God's authority in our lives to embrace a kind of, shall we say, loving inclusivity that rejects sin and salvation as a requisite for God's personal heavenly utopia you know one of the top faith journalists in the country is an individual who um i think is is very much he's been called sort of the door 
for uh, those that are going through a deconversion experience. Mm-hmm. And he's been championed by a lot of faith institutions and papers and, and publications. And he has he is he is greatly supported. Well, you're uh, you're not talking about the fellow Merritt, are you? That has little yeah, merit. So, so if it's okay, naming names on the program, yeah. So I talk quite a bit about Jonathan Merritt, and here's an individual who, um, you know, very talented, uh, uh, gifted journalist, um, but has gone through his own uh, um, sort of uh, uh, journey away from uh, what he called his traditional faith, uh, really in the SBC. And uh, he seems to be at the center of, uh, uh, in many ways, celebrate almost every single, uh, you know, pastor and, and Christian, you know, uh, artist that, that that goes through the same deconversion experience. And uh, these individuals, look, it, it sounds very spiritual when we see some of these things, but it's very damaging. And I think oftentimes they're looking for other people who have gone through similar doubts and experiences as them just to validate their own self-worth and their own effort there. So I pray for guys like this, but I think that people need to be aware of what's happening, and they need to know really who the players are uh, that are helping to take the church in a, in a wrong Well, not only that, but they need to see it happening in their own congregation. 100%. Because this is drifting. You see, it's said that all politics is local, and that's true also for our faith. It's, it's one thing to look at the global picture. It's one thing to look at the national picture. But how about the local picture? How about your congregation, friend? How about your home? How about your discussions between husband and wife and with your kids? This is where the groundwork for this is being laid. And this is the only hope that we have. And that's why it's our responsibility, men, men, to become spiritual leaders in our homes. That these kinds of uh, trajectories, false trajectories, uh, do not occur and that we can stop them right up front uh, with God's authority in our own hearts and our own lives. Now, again, the book that we're referring to here is called The Christian Left, How Liberal Thought Has Hijacked the Church. Lucas Miles, our guest, the author, and uh, this book is a $17 book, and it's yours for $14 on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. Uh, you can write to us at Save America Ministries. Uh, call us, 1-800-SAVE-USA. I hope you'll get a copy of the book. It exposes a subversive threat that Marxist thought is posing to Christianity and the global church. Every Christian needs to read it. We'll be right back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Where society and inclusion has become the main objective, Christianity 
is stark uh, in stark contrast. Uh, Jesus himself uh, outlined a deliberate and solitary path that leads to righteousness. And interestingly, uh, that only confirms the fears of the Christian left regarding the message of Christianity, because the church is by its nature exclusive. It includes only those who have received the salvation that Jesus offers and have humbly submitted their lives to his lordship. But they don't like that. No, that's not inclusive enough. So I have a question for you, and I want to take some of these questions right out of uh, our guest's book, his chapter called The Trojan Horse. He says, the left's use of spiritual-sounding language is being plagiarized from true believers and adopted by the left. See if you recognize some of these common lines of thought that you find in the so-called Christian left And here they are. Listen, Jesus accepts everyone. Jesus would never get in the way of love between two people. Jesus was a refugee. Jesus accepts foreigners and strangers. God doesn't create walls that prevent us from coming to him. People need to live their truth. Some people are just born that way. A real Christian accepts everyone. These are just some of the, shall we say, shibboleths, uh, the words and the phrases that uh, really are defining, help you to identify what the trends are in your own congregation. When you hear it, not necessarily from a pastor, but you hear it from a Sunday school teacher, or you hear it from a board member, or you hear it in conversation among the people, Take heed. Those are the litmus paper tests, some of them. And so our guest today uh, talks about some temptations, some temptations that Jesus incurred after he was uh, baptized and the Holy Spirit came upon him. He was led into the wilderness to be tempted or tested. And uh, there were several of those that tested Jesus. Uh, Lucas, you're saying that these three temptations have also come to the church as a whole. Help us understand that. Absolutely. So in the same way that Jesus faced these temptations in the desert, so the first temptation was to turn the stone into bread, the second temptation was to throw himself uh, from the temple and expect mm-hmm. for uh, these angels to, to uh, um, you know catch him. And then the third temptation was where he was taken up to a high place and he was shown all the kingdoms of the world, and if he would only bow to Satan, uh, then, then he would receive all those kingdoms as a reward. Mm-hmm. And I think in a, in, in a similar way, the Church is facing these temptations today, and the first temptation is really about entitlement, that we, that we deserve something. And this kind of pairs with social justice and critical theory mm-hmm. and critical race theory and, and a lot of the, uh, the ideas of liberation theology. Uh, the second temptation is this temptation to throw ourselves down and that, that uh, these angels are just going to catch us. And I believe that this really corresponds with the, uh, the uh, propensity that the modern church has to, um, to abandon this idea of original sin, that we see ourselves uh, worthy right. of being saved. In other words, uh, replace, replace the need for salvation with social justice. 100%. It's, and it's salvation by entitlement. It's mm-hmm. salvation by deservedness yeah. um, and, and these things. And so 
And this third temptation, I really think, is the uh, um, you know leads to uh, one of the most dangerous of of leftist ideologies within the church, and that is universalism. Absolutely, and this idea that all the kingdoms of the world uh, can sort of uh, belong together. Um, you know, apart from the lordship of Jesus, if Jesus would just bow his lordship, if he would, if he would demote himself, then all these kingdoms could exist, you know, in this perfect Marxist utopia underneath that banner. Lucas, that's exactly what's happening in the name of globalism. That's what globalism is all about. Uh, globalism has as its foundation that, uh, you don't need to be one in Christ because that is too exclusive. That ex- in, uh, excludes too many people. No, we can be one inclusively by just loving one another and engaging in social justice and letting the government take from those that have and give to those that have not so that as the uh, founder of the World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab, said, you're not going to own anything in the near future. Under the Great Reset, you're not going to own anything, and you'll be happy about it. it it's certainly the direction I think that people are taking us, and, and this is why it's so important. You know, the, the Church Father Irenaeus, he said in 180 AD in his book Against Heresies, he was writing about the uh, dangers of Gnosticism, and he critiqued the first century church, and he said that really they didn't under the reason they weren't able to refute Gnosticism is because they didn't understand it fully. And I believe we have the same thing happening today, is that we don't fully, as a church, understand the theology of globalism, the theology of critical race, the theology of, of, of socialism, and we're struggling to refute these things effectively, and so therefore they're growing. And this is one of the reasons I wrote this book, and I want to get in people's hands, is because mm-hmm. it helps them understand these topics and really equips them to be able to deal with them and refute them effectively so they can stay tied to biblical orthodoxy. Well, uh, globalism is indeed the temptation to find salvation through the unification of the world out of outside Christ rather than unity in Christ. And that accomplishes what they see as uh, a Sir Thomas More utopia, Marxist utopia, socialistic utopia, and ultimately the utopia uh, purportedly defined in Revelation chapter 13 and 14 that will produce the mark of the beast. Uh, that will be the ultimate mark of allegiance and unity. If you don't belong to that, uh, you are not included in the utopian salvation. In other words, you are excluded. And interestingly, uh, Lucas, the theology of New Age, the theology of the UN, the theology of the of globalism is that you are either in or out. And if you're not in with us, you are the ultimate engine and enemy of peace, and therefore you must be eradicated from the planet. That's their theology, and that is where things are headed rapidly. It sure feels that way. I think that a lot of people have those concerns, and you know, this is something that I think people are experiencing in their local churches as well as they're seeing in the news cycle. And so I think this is why it's, you know, it's so important that we, you know, as Christians, that we understand the times that we're living in, that we really, you know, look to not only the Word, but to resources that can help us mm-hmm. uh, to be able to understand these things that we're facing and really equip us. Because the truth is, uh, you know, uh, uh, the truth that is needed to set us free is provided for us 
in Scripture, but we have to go back to the source and and really, you know, uh, um, a, a bask in it uh, to uh, to really, um, you know, garner the truth that's there. Right. And there are so many alternatives being developed out there, and that's why uh, I'm just beginning with the writing of Chapter 14 in my latest book called Messiah, uh, Unveiling the Mystery of the Ages. And when people read it, they're going to they're going to have to gird up the loins of their mind, put on a shoulder harness and a seatbelt uh, to be careful not to be thrown from their chariot. Because uh, what is what is taking place? And I have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of citations from all over the world that are showing how this battle is being set up to redefine the Messiah, even while people are expecting a Messiah. It's it's unbelievable, just unbelievable. And uh, some of the the folk that are leading the way are people that are highly respected in our world. Uh, it's it's amazing. Now you have a, a question here. Can you have too much freedom for for that, the, the the Christian right, so to speak, values freedom more than anybody else? And the Scripture does say, "Where the Spirit of the Lord, there's liberty." So. Um, can you have too much freedom? The left says yes. You can't. Ha- you can have too much freedom. Therefore, I can be free to do what I want to do, but you can't be free to tell me otherwise. Without freedom, we really can't have love. And this is why it's exactly. so important we understand kind of how the garden was set up and to begin with in Genesis that God had to give a choice, and even if it meant placing a tree that was forbidden. So he gave us the freedom to be able to eat from a tree uh, that was against his will. Without doing that, we wouldn't have had true freedom, and, we, and he wouldn't have been able to. Uh, uh, we wouldn't have been able to experience true love. If uh, I, one definition I like of, of love is, it is um, uh, really choosing to limit my freedom for the sake of another. But the only way to do that is if we do it willingly. I can limit my freedom by, although I might be free to do certain things within grace. I limit that freedom as to not be a stumbling block for other people. But the moment we take away that that uh, sense of uh, freedom of choice, we start entering into a realm of obligation and coercion and force, and that's really the doctrine of the left. A minute or two left. Address pastors. Yeah, I, I think that you know this last year has been very difficult on pastors, really the last 18 months between COVID shutdowns, uh, you know, uh, uh, racial uh, uh, racial issues that have arisen and, and seem to have uh, become inflamed more so than ever. Uh, and I think that it is very important that pastors, first and foremost, go back to the Word of God as their source, and that uh, uh, really look for in the in the Word in in church history through other trusted men and women throughout. Uh, the last 2,000 years of the Church, who have gone through similar things, and see how the Church has responded. The Church has dealt with issues of universalism before. They've called it heresy. The Church has dealt with issues of, of seeing Jesus, and Jesus as more of a humanistic figure like we have today. They've called that heresy rather than seeing him as the Lord. And so it's so important that pastors, you know, we have to look ourselves in the mirror, and we have to be willing to, to humble ourselves about whether or not we have allowed ourselves to drift into these things. There was a time, and I shared this in the book, that I myself found uh, some of these tendencies even arising in me, and I'm so thankful that the Lord brought me back to truth. 
Mm-hmm. and really began to establish my heart on, I believe, right and proper doctrine. Well, when so, pastors have been led to believe that the ultimate perp- their ultimate purpose is to grow a big church uh, mm-hmm. so that they can become popular, so that they can have a big name and sell a lot of books, uh, it seems to me that pastors uh, put their pants on one leg at a time like everybody else, and they're fleshly motivated. The problem is they're not kingdom-motivated. They've lost the focus on the kingdom of God and his righteousness and therefore have lost the holy boldness to uh, press on, to uh, lead the people to stand and stand alone and having done all to stand to stand, having their loins girt about with truth. They're afraid of losing their 501c3 status. They're afraid of uh, cancel culture. They're afraid, 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 and afraid. And faith is taking short shrift. Do you think I, I, think I have a viewpoint? I think you're absolutely <laughs> right. I think you're absolutely right. And it is it is time for bold pastors to stand up and proclaim the truth, to resist the doctrine of the left, to shepherd their flock into a biblical worldview, and to really, uh, um, you know, uh, cast aside uh, those that are that are coming in to try to, you know, uh, teach anything otherwise. Yeah. And this might mean that you're going to lose people or lose friends or lose finances. I've done all of those things, and I tell you, it's worth it if it means following God. There you go. It's worth it if it means following God. Jesus himself said, why do you think you should be different than your Lord? If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. So uh, why not just get with it, realize if you're truly a Christian, this is what's going to happen. I mean, the Apostle Paul said all who live godly in Christ Jesus are going to suffer persecution. Maybe that's why there's so little persecution uh, against pastors in America. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) Lucas, uh, thank you so much for joining us here on the program today. I'm not against pastors. My father was a pastor for 50 years. His father and mother were both pastors. My mother's father was a pastor, and I pastored for 35 years. So... Uh, We're all in this together. The Christian left, how liberal thought has hijacked the church. uh, $17 book years for $14. On our website, friends, saveus.org, saveus.org. Call us, 1-800-SAVE-USA. Become a partner with us. Send your gifts by faith to Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Let's always be on the alert. And love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourself. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.